Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I have just gotten back home after, oh, what a time I've had lately. So, (laughs) our ice maker broke a week or so ago, and I had to do the thing where you get all... Well, first of all, who do you call about an ice maker? You don't call a plumber. Uh, It's not... It's not like air conditioning, obviously. Like, that's a weird, off thing. And the first thing you do is you go to YouTube. Because now, you go to YouTube, and once you're done watching all of the Needless Things unboxing videos, you look around and see what kind of handyman have put up stuff. I fixed stuff on my car. I put a new mailbox in. Uh, I've done all kinds of stuff just using YouTube that I would never have been able to do before. So with the ice maker... We got on YouTube, and we both, me and uh, uh, the missus are both, like, looking in different spots, figuring out, okay, what if we do this? Let's check this. We checked everything that we were capable of checking, and they could not figure out what the problem was. So, finally, at that point, well, who do you call? Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. You're going to call, apparently, local appliance repair specialists that's the thing we i guess i've been fortunate in that the 25 years that i haven't lived with my parents i've never really had to do this before uh well actually i don't know that it's fortune because the couple of times we've had problems it's been catastrophic uh the the how you know last time on the old refrigerator the water line got clogged up and blew open and you know, flooded out the upstairs, dripped into the downstairs. So it would have been nice if we'd caught that one a little sooner, like we did this one. Anyway, uh, finally got in touch with, and this is not going to be helpful for listeners all over the world, but if you're local to Georgia, particularly north of Metro Atlanta, in Lawrenceville, there's a place called Quick Fix Appliance Repair. I recommend them. Uh, their service technician was named Igor, which delighted me as soon as I called, uh, and he spoke like you would imagine an Igor would speak with that sort of Eastern European type accent. He was great. He explained exactly what was wrong. The heating element underneath the ice tray that keeps the stuff from getting stuck in there had just died. So we had to replace the whole damn ice maker, which was not inexpensive. Uh, certainly less expensive than buying a whole new refrigerator. Uh, but he he was he was in and out in less than an hour. Showed us what was wrong. Explained the whole thing. Like was so nice. Great people. Quick fix appliance repair. If you're in the Metro Atlanta area, I highly recommend them. But that was a big chunk of change that I really didn't care to spend. And then, but uh, as he left, he told us, he said, this, this refrigerator, you should never have to call me about this again. This is a good refrigerator. His accent was much more pleasant than that. My accent was absolutely terrible, but that's what he told us. So we feel pretty good about the refrigerator now. Uh, anyway, oh, and he said, don't buy the, the freezer drawer style. The side-by-side is the way to go. Anyway, uh, so we got that wrapped up and now... 
for the past few weeks, I, I can't remember if I told you about my car or not, about the battery acid dripping onto the wiring harness. Uh, if I did, then you know the story. If I didn't, you know enough of the story. Well, kind of since that happened, or really since before I had to get that fixed, the the AC in my car, the hot and the cold work, but it doesn't always uh, blow air. And it finally got to the point where it just wasn't coming on. So Sunday, we dropped the car off at our car place, which is great, Killian Hill Service Center. Uh, it's not the closest in the world, but it's they're reliable. So I'm, I'm just putting over local businesses this episode. That's the whole episode, putting over local businesses. So I can totally alienate anybody who doesn't live in Georgia. I'm just kidding. We actually have a great episode that you're going to want to stay tuned for. Um, so drop the car off. And, of course, they call me the next morning. I'm getting ready to do my workout because uh, i got to mention, if I don't mention that I'm working out, then it doesn't count. So I'm getting ready to do my workout. I get the phone call, and they say, Dave, uh, everything's working fine. It's blowing hot air. It's blowing cold air. Everything's fine. And, of course, that's how it goes. And I said, well, what do you want to do? He's like, if you want, you can leave it here overnight. We'll keep checking it, see if we can get it to not work and figure out what's wrong. But it seems fine. So we go back today to pick it up. They could not. It worked fine every time. I get in the car, turn it on. It's fine. And fine to the point where it's like hasn't been working this well in weeks. So I'm wondering if maybe they kind of looked at the wiring and were like, oh, well, we need to plug this in. But anyway, uh, the, the car's fine. I did not have to spend more money on that, thank goodness. So I immediately went to Walmart to try and spend more money on toys, which is the thing that I would rather spend money on. I also had to spend money on pajama pants uh, this this week, which really annoyed me because I don't mind spending you know $60 on an action figure, but if I have to spend more than $10 on a pair of pants, let me just tell you, I'm frustrated. So anyway, I got these uh, pajama pants from Amazon. They ended up being great, and now I can lounge around the house in comfort once again because my, my freaking 10-year-old pajama pants just blew out. I lost two pairs in one shot. It was tragic. Uh, so I went to Walmart because I just finished reading uh, Sean Gordon Murphy's Batman Curse of the White Knight. Now, if you remember, Batman White Knight was basically one of my favorite Batman stories ever. It came out a couple of years ago, and I was in love with it. It's sort of, it's it's basically an Elseworlds type thing. It's an amalgamation of all the different, from the movies to the animated series to the comics. He kind of brings in elements from everything to tell his own story. No origin involved, uh, because he knows we know. Uh, so it was this really great story about Joker basically being cured and trying to make Gotham a better place, and Batman sort of realizes he's not totally the superhero. It's an amazing story. Curse of the White Knight is the... I don't want to call it a sequel because it seems like this is going to be an ongoing world now that DC is going to use because of the success of the first one. Uh, so it's the second part of the story, and it's also awesome. I didn't love it as much as the first, but I still loved it more than most Batman stories I've ever read. It's that good. So, uh, McFarlane Toys, I know I've disavowed their uh, action figure line as being something that is not for me, but the only way you can get Batman White Knight Toys figures from this universe 
and and by the way, the uh, new Spin Master Batmobile or the current Spin Master Batmobile is in this comic, and it's great. Uh, as are other Batmobiles that you will be very delighted and surprised to see. But anyway, if if you want White Knight figures, you, you got to buy the McFarlane stuff. And and look, I I said they're great figures. They just don't go with anything else I have. Well, now that DC Collectibles is dead, uh, which I might have mentioned in the news recently, uh, they got shut down, so nobody else is going to be making these comic-specific figures, and I'm actually shocked to see them at mass market retail because that's not something that Mattel did very often. McFarlane is obviously taking a very different approach where not only are they drawing from lots of different sources to produce these figures, they're also actually making them easy to find and widely available. Shocking! So you go into Walmart, and for 16 bucks, you get the White Knight Batman, White Knight Joker, uh, Azrael, and Azrael is Batman, which is what the second uh, story is about, and it's, it's a phenomenal take on the Azrael story. So I bought them all because I am a lunatic and can't control myself. So I, I went and got those. I actually found the new Mego Creature from the Black Lagoon figure, which I've been scouring Walmarts for the past month for because supposedly they were showing up in early October, and they never did. I f- found that. And they had a Hannibal Lecter as well that looked great, but I just don't really need a Mego Hannibal Lecter. Uh, okay, let me rephrase that. Uh, I have gotten enough toys recently to where Amigo Hannibal Lecter did not... uh, There was not enough meat on the bone there for me. But if I'd been in a drought for the past month, maybe I would have gotten him. Uh, Anyway, uh, lots of new wrestling figures hit. Uh, I think I might have even mentioned on last week's uh, show when I did the rundown of everything from Ringside Fest, uh, I found a bunch of WWE stuff. It's hitting all over the place. And another cool thing that I saw today was the Hasbro Real Ghostbusters figures, the the sort of reissues of the old 80s Real Ghostbusters action figures. Those are hitting again, too. And what's funny is I, I have a men-on-card set. I have a set that I haven't opened yet, but I'm going to open. And I was still tempted to buy a set just because it's so delightful to me to see those on pegs, which, speaking of seeing things on pegs, it is such a different feeling walking into a store and finding the thing you're looking for than ordering it online. Because this Mego creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, I've, I've ordered it from Big Bad. It hasn't hit them yet. Uh, Mego's distribution is really not great at this point it seems uh but i ordered one from big bad so i was like oh i know it's coming it'll get here at some point and but walking into walmart seeing it on the peg was so much more exciting despite the fact that i was in a walmart which yuck uh but it was just very satisfying i i I love that feeling, and now that America is generally being more responsible and masks are being required in places like that, which, I mean, that's been going on for months now, but Walmart has finally opened up both entrances again, so I can just walk in, check out the toy aisle, and walk back out. It's it's much less, uh, it's much easier. It's like it used to be, where now, you know, before, for a while, I was having to walk across the entire store, and while, look, that's great for you, you should do some walking, but it's a pain in the butt when you just want to run in and look at the toy aisle and run, toy aisle and run back out uh, with minimal interaction. Uh, I, I never understood 
the only having one entrance and exit. Uh, that never made any sense to me. But anyway, now they've opened them back up. It's easier to toy hunt again. Everybody's being good and responsible. And in general, things are looking up. Lots of new toys out there right now. Uh, one of the things I'm looking for that I haven't seen yet, there's a Hot Wheels Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles party wagon that looks great. And it looks like the side door actually even opens up too. Uh, I'm, I'm looking, keeping an eye out for that. Uh, the fourth wave of masters of WWE figures I haven't seen yet. They should be hitting. I know a lot of people are looking for those. And then of course the second wave of masters of universe origins, uh, are, are coming out. And by the way, I will be reviewing the remaining figures from the first wave on the needless things, YouTube channel soon. Uh, but I recently put up a poll in the Needless Things podcast Facebook group to determine which review would go up this past Wednesday. I had 10 different choices up there, and the G.I. Joe Classified Series Profit Director Destro won. So this week, if you go to the Needless Things YouTube channel, and please do, please go uh, subscribe, like the videos, share the videos, you know what to do. Uh, this week, we had that Destro figure went up, and then the brand new diamond select toys star wars select boba fett i reviewed that on monday and those came out of nowhere a couple of weeks ago all of a sudden just on shelves in the disney store and at shopdisney.com there's brand new a whole new line of star wars figures that we'd never seen never heard of nobody said anything about diamond select making star wars figures boba fett and darth maul are currently available and this boba fett is great go watch the video uh, i run the whole thing down it's not a line i'm going to start collecting but when there are characters that i love in that line i will grab them and i'll tell you i'm dying to see what they do with c-3po and r2d2 it's a 7-inch scale, so it's not in scale with any of your other Star Wars toys, uh, but I guess maybe in scale with those Batman figures I was talking about. So there's a weird thing. Uh, anyway, lots of cool stuff hitting stores now, obviously, because we're heading into the holidays. We're in the final stretch of the year. It's gift-giving time. It's gift-searching time uh, for, for lots and lots and lots of us. And I think that's about it for the intro. Uh, please join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group so you, too, can vote on which toy reviews I do and when they get posted. Uh, it's just a fun little thing that we do. And plus, you know, all the pop culture news I like to post in there and we talk about and you can comment on or whatever. You can post your own news. If you do a thing, if you are like our friends, the Cadaver Candle Company, uh, if you have a product, you can post about it in the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group and like-minded people will see your cool product and probably go buy it. Especially if, like the Cadaver Candle Company, it smells delightful. We just got some new wax melts from them. It's some kind of pumpkin something or other, and I want to eat them. Which you can't do. Don't eat wax melts. But I really want to because they smell so good. Uh, Alright, you guys. So this week's episode, our guest is Mr. Chad J. Shonk. Uh, you know him well. You know him from the Execute Chapter 66 podcast. But he has also launched, not as part of the Needless Things family, A Feat of Lunatic Daring, which is a podcast focusing on Jim Henson. Not just the Muppets, but Jim Henson's life. Everything that he created. It's fascinating. Uh, and, of course, if you're talking Muppets, 
if you're talking puppetry, you have to have Mr. Bo Brown on, so he joins us as well, and we have a great conversation about lots of different pop culture stuff, but obviously we focus on uh, Jim Henson and the Muppets over the course of this episode, uh, which you guys are absolutely going to enjoy. So kick back, relax, and uh, enjoy another pop culture conversation, courtesy of the Needless Things podcast. Joining me tonight are two individuals who've been on the show many times, but have never crossed paths here at Needless Things. First, welcome back to the show, my lovely co-host, Mr. Bo Brown. Greetings, friends. And joining us. The cellar of Brownson Abbey. Yeah. (laughs) Where I anxiously await Snake Mountain. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, it's funny you mentioned that, but first, (laughs) uh, we have to introduce our other guest for the evening, Mr. Chad J. Shonk. Hello, folks. Okay, so, so tell Chad, so tell us about your He-Man toy. Well, here's the here's the thing, Chad. <laughs> I know you not being a, a toy guy and not I like toys. I just yeah, not a toy sure, guy, sure. but not being uh, a, really a He-Man guy either. No, no, that is true. Here's something that has to be discussed tonight before my head That's explodes. Fine. Sure, Mr. Bo Brown, you are currently waiting for your Snake Mountain because you are not pixeled in very patiently, and I am. Okay, my decision to not get it was not the wrong decision. That's fair. I didn't need to spend that much money. I don't have anywhere to put it. Chad, you've seen the Castle Grayskull that's down here. Yes. Snake yes. Mountain is larger than that. It's a. It's like a. It's like a bus stop. <laughs> yeah, I've seen. I've seen the pictures. I mean, I listen. I. One of the things, one of the secrets about this podcast is I actually li- usually listen to the episodes that I have no idea anything about. So I've listened to several Masters of the Universe episodes with you guys, despite me having a passing interest in it and not having d- dipped in it since I was like and 10, because it's just fun because I just like listening. <laughs> so I know, I know about the, I know about the Snake Mountain. So the Snake Mountain uh, was originally... Okay, it was what was it? It was five hundred dollars plus shipping originally, correct? Gosh, I, no, I, I don't try I, to think about that. I yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I believe me. I understand. I've men in black that out of my head. Yeah, I believe it was. I believe it was five hundred dollars plus. But, about I, but I ordered it like a year, and I also ordered it like a year. Well, yeah, ago. it's been a long time. It's been a very long time. I believe that was a whole was, COVID ago. It was. Yeah. Oh my gosh, five hundred dollars plus one hundred and fifty bucks shipping, something like that. Uh, and then at one point, Entertainment Earth had it up for $550 shipped, I think. And I toyed with ordering it, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't. And then one day I decided I really should, and it was sold out. And I wasn't really disappointed. I was like, that's probably for the best. Uh, and then Big Bad Toy Store had it for like $800 shipped at one point. That sold out, but there's no way. I, I mean, even if it was, and I, whatever. So I sit down to go through my YouTube subscriptions, which is something I do now. I've got like four channels that I watch pretty regularly. And Pixel Dan is one of them because I I enjoy him. It's not that I necessarily take his reviews seriously, 
because he gets all of his toys for free and that absolutely influences his reviews and that's fine yeah. uh it's it's I, a, he, I, I lean i definitely lean more for pixel dan on like breaking news than yes, the reviews. Yes. He's well, and he's entertaining, and that's fine. I don't mind yeah, reviews yeah. that are more for entertainment than for actual criticism. That's fine, uh, and and he's got the information. There's no way around it. And yeah, he's he a great. He's got the hotline. Although I, I yes. do his, his specific his, specifically his toy reviews. There's a lot of like, yeah, the ankles work, and the and all he does all the joints, and I'm like, come on, man, that's <laughs> different for every toy. Like I don't need to sit right. here for eight minutes of your video and watch you work every single joint. Tell me what you think about the figure. <laughs> um, so he puts up a live unboxing of. Yeah. I did not watch it because I didn't want spoilers. I wanted that experience. I, right. And, and I understand. I, I would feel the same way, but I started to watch it. And then I was like, I can't watch this because yeah. I know I don't need this thing. I'm not like, I'm bummed that I don't have it, but I'm not bummed that I didn't buy it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like I'd I'd love to have this massive gargantuan thing, but there's absolutely nowhere to put it. That's uh, how I feel about like every Star Wars toy. <laughs> right. I would love to have it, but I just can't buy it. Yeah, and that's that's where I'm at with this. So, but I had to stop his his unboxing because I was just like, oh, I, I don't I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about missing out on this this amazing gigantic thing. Instead, I will focus on the Razor Crest that will be delivered to me next year. <laughs> Oh, that's dope. I was, you, I was you did really do that. hoping it would be a Halloween surprise. I was really hoping it was going to show up on Halloween. Halloween. Oh yeah, that would have been perfect, huh? Well, would well, it though? Uh, yeah, I picked up my Star Wars Black Series six-inch DJ from Star Tours, which is a great figure. I'm very excited about. It. I found it at Target. I was very excited because that I, was the uh, only one of that batch I wanted. I, I stepped away from Black Series again. Uh, not entirely. My Mandalorian That's because you're in G.I. Joe land. Well, no, it's actually uh, because I'm still collecting the three and three quarter inch Star Wars. I just can't do as many different scales as they produce. Um, well, hey, Dave, speaking of, speaking of, um, speaking of uh, Masters, do you, have a, do you have a line on your Scareglow taint? Oh, oh boy. Scareglow? Okay, so yeah, I guess I got to tell that story as well. <laughs> So Masters Universe Origins, currently Walmart exclusive, uh, very, very soon is going to be hitting other retailers, though, uh, to the point where I had Trapjaw and Scareglow pre-ordered from Amazon, uh, and they got canceled, uh, as apparently everyone's did. And Mr. Bo Brown, you brought me this piece of information, which I have not been able to find any other references to this. And it appears that Scareglow was widely distributed to Walmart. So I'm thinking Amazon's customer service representative might have just been a little crazy. I don't know, but I've seen in I'm I'm in a lot of human groups. Well, so. yeah, you are. You are. You've got more of a line on that. Yeah. But uh, so you shared the information with me that Amazon's customer service representative stated that Scareglow contains large amounts of a hazardous chemical. <laughs> um so and that's why they were canceled because the uh, I never was able to order it from Walmart. It was the pre-orders were sold out, but Walmart did also cancel my trap jaw, which or no, they uh, had the, yeah, they canceled my trap jaw. Uh, so right now, trap jaw and Scareglow are both uh, they're two like my favorite characters. Um, and they may be toxic, and they're well, here's the <laughs> thing trap jaws. 
Trapjaw is probably going to show up. I'm, I'm not super worried about that one, but Scareglow, man, you know how I am about those glow in the dark toys. So, but it, are we assuming it's what it's the glow in the dark stuff that makes it toxic? Who knows, man? Knows. I mean, look, this this glow in the dark technology is pretty new stuff, and, <laughs> and Mattel Mattel's a little startup company without a lot of experience in these kinds of things. You know what? I am forty four years old, and I have never even bothered to think how glow in the dark works. <laughs> It's, no, it's it's like magnets it's, i've never i've never in my life once been like how does that no it just it's just a thing <laughs> it just does uh, i just know you have to charge it that's all i know um so anyway whatever the case is with the scare globe bo has got me he, he gave me the fomo real bad and and for those of you who may not be familiar with the term fomo that is fear of missing out which is the one of the main driving components of a toy collector. So yes, I'm looking around online. I'm looking for scared lows. Nobody's got them retail. Uh, Walmart, Amazon, nobody. Uh, Amazon didn't even have a listing anymore. Walmart has folded all of the individual SKUs from the second wave into a single SKU. So now you can go and there's a listing for many faces that is also for scare glow uh, and the other and trap jaw and whatever the other figure is in the second wave um orco orco yeah which by the way i have orco and manny faces walmart delivered them and they're fantastic that orco is incredible and i i hate it yeah it is a really good orco but it's great uh but but anyway they're all the same skew so even if you look on walmart's website and they're available locally for pickup you can buy them and you have no idea what you're going to get when you go pick them up if, yeah. if they even have them in stock. So I'm going to be patient with Trapjaw. I'm not worried about him, but Scareglow, if there is an issue with him and he was recalled in any way or, or shipment was stopped in any way, uh, I don't want to miss out. So well, there's, a, I, there's a double whammy going on with Scareglow here because he's already, because of, for whatever reason, he's already rare. Well, he's sure, he is sure. already one of the most vintage Scareglow is one of the most sought after right. rare money vintage Motu figures there is. Because he came out at the very end of the line, but was actually a cool figure because he's glow in the dark and everybody loves glow in the dark. Right. And um, so it's created this thing where the where people where <clears throat> Scareglow is like the Natasa of, you know, you know, Natasa is to Shiro what Scareglow is to, you know. To Motu. Th and thank so, you for making that much so clearer part of, to our part listeners. Of the problem with <laughs> one of the Origins ones is that everyone's buying them all up because everybody knows that Scareglow's like really, really high price figures. So you're right. getting all these, you know, scalpers and stuff buying up all the handful of, you know, the, the, the limited amounts of Scareglow's, Scareglow's that actually are out there are getting bought. I mean, I've seen, I've seen pictures of people with like two dozen Scareglow's that they did order. And they did, uh, and it's just like, what are you doing? Anyway, they they are taking advantage of suckers like me. Who, uh, I, th this is my second to last day of vacation. I am finishing off the last of my Ace Pumpkin Cider, which is the finest beverage I've ever had in my life. And the other night, I was also trying to finish off my Ace Pumpkin Cider before vacation ended, and I got the FOMO real bad. I started looking around. And I might have ordered a Scareglow from eBay for more than I would normally pay for an action figure that is yeah. currently at retail. 
but and quite possibly poisonous. And, and well, here's the thing: <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't lick my action figures. That's okay. That's fair. So, More for children. Got it. It's no, a, but you I don't, do take a big old whiff of them when you pull them out. That's true, and I will do that with this one as well. So we'll you, we'll see that's how that. How you get the tank. We'll see. Wear your mask, kids. Wear your masks. Yeah, that, I'm going to keep my mask on. I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a little tiny mask on Scareglow. It'll be fine. Uh, but so it was at the upper threshold of what I found reasonable. This figure retails for 15 bucks. If I were to buy it from Walmart uh, and have it shipped to me, it would have been twenty three dollars. So when I saw forty nine ninety eight on the eBay listing, I thought to myself. That's only twice as much. I <laughs> won't. Well, but I won't have to drive around looking for it. I oh, won't no, have totally, to. Totally. I won't have to think about it anymore. I won't have to be concerned about it. In six days, it will be here in my hands, and I'll be done with it. And every once in a while, and I, I hate scalpers and I hate feeding scalpers, but every once in a while, there's a specific character or figure that. I just decide, you know what, for for this instance, it's it's worth my peace of mind to just do it. Sure. So that was I was a dumb dumb and I paid way too much for a glow in the dark skeleton. <laughs> uh, you know what? That, I could have that could be a, on your tombstone, Dave. I could have oh, it probably will be. I could have bought a full size glow in the dark skeleton for less than that. <laughs> Oh, we, have, we have one of the we have one of the Home Depot skeletons in the neighborhood. Oh, saw my, my my. Oh yeah, I saw your picture. picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I gotta tell you, incredible. I gotta tell you what. Just like rolling around my neighborhood on Halloween as like possibly satanic dark sorcerer was very empowering. I'm sure you looked yeah, empowered. I'm pretty sure that all of my neighbors think I'm a satanist, and I'm like, no, I'm just like a dark sorcerer. Like I just you know. This is my dark sorcerer costume. It's not it's from fine. anything. I'm just, I'm just an evil sorcerer. What? What do you want? Yeah, but uh, there was a lot of red and black and a lot of like some painted symbols and yeah, I think you I think I you looked like Mola Ram and Tim the Enchanter had a child. Yeah, which I admire. That was good. <laughs> was good. And I, you know what? And I'll tell you this. I mean that in a good way. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I was free balling it under that robe, and it was very oh. liberating. Oh wow! Yeah. That's a needless expose right there. There you go. That, that one would call that a needless fact. So we're, we're, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So we're not here, believe it or not. Now. Believe it or but not, you we're know, not here to talk about snake mountains or skeletons or balls. But do you know what else are expensive and hard to find toys? Action figures? Please let me know. Palisades, Muppets figures. Oh, yes. If you want to make your transition. Mm, uh, yeah. Old Palisades out of print Muppets figures are, uh, yeah, that's very, very true. And and Diamond Select has done a great job of updating some of them, but I think they're pretty much done now. And those Palisades not, figures were gorgeous. Yeah, they didn't get anywhere near the the assortment that Palisades did. Which, by the way, I have the Pigs in Space playset and all of the Pigs in Space. Oh, nice. Cool. I have uh, I have the Electric Mayhem set. Nice, um, very nice. And uh, I think I have Muppet Labs too. Oh yeah, I forget. I never got pigs in space, that. but I got Muppet Labs. Yeah. Well, that is one line of figures that years ago I did chase, and it was worth it too because I mean they were great. They were and they were sturdy too. Yeah. Oh, that Fozzie! You can knock somebody out with that Fozzie. <laughs> that because that it's, Muppet it's Labs or not Muppet Labs, the pigs in space playset that moved with me 
at least four times and is still intact. Like, tell you, like it's sturdy, man. Like the big ones, like Fozzie and Beauregard, they feel almost like those old WWF figures. Yes, the rubber the ones that, like, you could, they, yeah. they could really use these as weapons. Well, that's a great segue because we are actually here tonight to talk about Muppets. Masters of the Universe. Oh, <laughs> yes, Muppets of the Universe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's your title. There's your title. Yeah, yeah I universe. think that's it. it uh, Chad, you have recently launched yes. a podcast called A Feat of Lunatic Daring that is, well, you, you tell us what it's about. Uh, yeah. Um, 2020, if people haven't noticed, uh, has sucked. So, what? yeah, I know, I know. I'm sorry. Hot takes. And um, when I was in quarantine uh, with my family, I was uh, ha- I was down and having a hard time, having a hard time working. And I turned to the one thing that I can always turn to to make me happy is I was watching episodes of The Muppet Show. And it'll always get me in at least a tolerable mood. And now that I have kids and they're enjoying them. And it occurred to me, I was like, man, I, you know, I've been, I listened to several, uh, I guess you call them watch podcasts, right? You know, like, um, you know, where you go through and you watch every episode of Buffy. You watch Donald Faison and Zach Braff are doing one where they're going through every episode of uh, Scrubs, you know, or someone will do Twin Peaks or whatever. But you, you, know, I you watch it and listen you sit up and watch and listen. Not, 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 in, not in a commentary way, but they, uh, they, there's a whole series of shows where you just, um, you watch an episode for that week, and then the hosts come in and talk about it. Got it. And then, so I thought it'd be really fun to kind of do that with the Muppet shows to go through yeah. and watch every episode. So uh, I went to my friend Nick, who uh, he and I bonded over our love of the Dark Crystal several years ago when we met, and I proposed this idea, and then I started doing my research. And I came upon something that I knew but hadn't really wrapped my head around was that Jim Henson had 20 years in television before The Muppet Show aired. Mm-hmm. His first television show came on the air in 1955. And I thought, well, why don't we just watch everything, Jim Henson, and talk about that? And so that kind of became the plan. It was to watch almost everything. There's, there's a, an, a couple asterisks to it but almost everything he ever produced. But then what also happened though, was then like his first show, Sam and friends doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, it was a live television show. And back then in the 1950s, when a live television show aired, it went into the ether and hopefully somebody saw it and then it was gone forever. And the only way you would get video of it is if you actually set up a, they called it a kintoscope. You would set up a 16 millimeter camera, pointed at a television set playing your television signal and you would film it off of that. So there are very few of those exist. So it doesn't really, the show doesn't actually exist. We have a dozen or so episodes that we can watch. And there's, there's some in archives that we can't necessarily get to everybody. But so what I decided to do was us just talking about these 12 little pieces wasn't going to do any good. So what we then did was decide to provide context and so what the show has kind of become is a is a, a hybrid of a biography and then a watch show. So what, what we are doing, my host Nick and I are doing, is we are telling the story of Jim Henson, mostly as an artist. You know, we're not getting too much into his personal life, but we're telling the story of Jim Henson and the Muppets uh, as artists. And we are then chronologically trying to watch all of the major works. 
and tell you the story about how those works came to be to provide a context to them. But our goal is to watch nearly everything with our big caveat being we're not going to watch 51 years of Sesame Street. Because well, yeah, was, Jim wasn't. Yeah, he hasn't been involved in a long time, obviously. You know, yeah. Yeah, but we we do plan in the future on getting to things like Age of Resistance if we can and Muppets Tonight. So we, we plan on going past him, you know, uh, with Muppet stuff if we go that far. But there are just things that, you know, and then there's, you know, they did so many variety show appearances and all this stuff that there's not time to talk about those in the main podcast. But our goal is to kind of watch all the major things in a row and then we're just discussing them and breaking them down and trying to create a we'd call a modest kind of uh, cliff notesy biography of the man while also kind of just examining his works. And what we're trying to do is neither we're both big fans. And now at this point, we know more than a lot of people, not, not experts, more than a lot of people. But what we're hoping is over the course of the show is you're going to watch two people become experts in a subject they really enjoy. Cool. Because by the end of it, we should be, you know, scholarly by the time we're done. But that's the plan of the thing is just to watch everything, not everything Muppet, everything Henson that we can, because there's a few things with no puppets. That's true. Time that piece and um, the cube, yeah, um, cube yeah. which I've seen youth 68. I can't, you can't find the whole thing, but apparently it is at the museum of television and radio. So um, I got it, but, there, but there's a, and there's a few things along the way that just aren't available. To, yeah, for the public to view yeah. yeah like and even some of the bigger pieces that are harder to find um i live now about 90 minutes from the paley center in new york uh so once it opens up there are things there in their archives that you can go watch so but uh yeah so that's what we're kind of doing and we're trying to have fun if with you're it in new york if you're in new york then you should contact like the carriage house and the momi has a lot of Henson stuff. The Momi I know the Momi does. That's on my list. Yeah. yeah. The Momi has a ton of stuff, but but yeah, yeah. I would I would if, if you're if you're looking for obscure stuff, definitely contact the carriage house. Okay. I'll um, do that. And yeah, I've just I've just been able to find like the Museum of Television and Radio has the original two Muppet Show pilots unedited. Mm. Like before they went back and like ad- added scooter and everything. They actually have these two pilots. Yeah, they have the two actual test pilots that they made um, to sell it into syndication that they then went back, which were the first two produced, but they aired at like the end of the season. Yeah, the old old, um, orchestra conductor was the original Kermit. Uh, Yeah, for the, well, yeah, we've seen those. That's, um, he was the host in, uh, there was the two two pilots, uh, the Muppet Valentine show, and then the Muppet Sex and Violence. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, Nigel, the the rather kind of lukewarm host of oh, yeah. Sex and Violence, uh, ended up becoming the conductor. But they also shot, once the Muppet Show had a deal, they had to run over to England while they were still getting all their shit together and shoot two quick episodes with uh, Juliet Prowse and Connie Stevens. And if you haven't heard of those people, neither will most people listening to the podcast. So we are going to do little biographies on all the guest hosts once we get to the Muppet Show. Oh, cool. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, in fact, my, well, my co-host is that no one's heard of. Well, my co-host is significantly younger than me. So we're going to kind of trade play stump the Nick. Like, <laughs> have you ever heard of this person? Like I've probably heard of a, you know, a majority of the people, but so 
they shot these two episodes to because uh, it was a syndicated show, which was not something they originally wanted, but that was the networks had all passed multiple times on having a Muppet show and uh, a literally a knight, uh, Lord Lou Grade, uh, a producer, but also a knight of the realm in England, brought them over uh, to make 24 episodes uh, in syndication. But they had to make two quick episodes to show to uh, different markets to sell the syndicated show. And those two episodes ended up like one fun. My favorite anecdote is Frank Oz had a really hard time finding Fozzie's character for the first several episodes of the show. And he, he knew, you know, they, they had a hard time finding the voice. They had a hard time trying to find a way to make someone whose entire existence is about him going out on stage and failing to be funny and uh, endearing. And it took a while. But in the, in the very first episode that if you like, if you get out your Muppet Show season one DVDs and there's only DVDs for the first three seasons, which is still sad, but. Music rights. Get, hmm? music yeah. Rights. Yeah. Music oh, rights and rights. Disney stuff. And. No, so no, they, not Disney stuff. It's been music rights for years, way before Disney. Even for four and five, even though they put one through three out. Yeah. Well, well, there's okay. stuff missing. Even with yes, the, that's the true. Yeah, that are out. It's that the, they just yeah. they would just cover songs. Oh yeah, no, all the time, all the time. Seventies, yeah. and they didn't give a shit. Yeah, there's yeah. this. Yeah. There's a weird. Wasn't as crazy, and so yeah. they would yeah. cover. They would do these musical numbers and cover songs and not have the rights to them. Oh yeah, they've been wow. doing. He he started doing that in 1954. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any, anything that is any kind of like variety. Yeah. sketch pop culture type show it's so frustrating to go back and look for it like if you want to if you want to watch the state from yeah. mtv in the 90s you you can't yeah you'll never see it in its intended form judd apatow said we'll never see freaks music. and geeks again no no like so hold on not. to your freaks and geeks dvds because we'll never see it again yeah and that's the thing. That's that's uh, you know one of the other reasons why I endorse physical media the way that I do is you know as distribution evolves and as licenses uh, expire, the entertainment that we grew up with is going to change. In the same, you know, you think you're mad about the changes that have been made to to Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Uh, settle in, buddy, because. Everything, everything is going to be changing like that. I'm a Dawson's Creek fan. Muppet Babies will never be available for purchase. Right. Because so much of that was they just had, they were like, we're just going to use the Star Wars footage and this Indiana Jones footage and fucking put Gonzo and running away from the, you know, running away from the boulder. Yeah. Yeah. None of that stuff was cleared. No. Really approved to begin with. And to be honest with you, and and to put it, to put a caveat on that though once disney owns everything then it'll all go back to normal that's true yeah i I, yes that is to (laughs) to uh in deference to that the podcast is actually i'm um i'm going a little overboard with the audio clips and kind of pushing Mm, careful what i can do here's the thing uh if i get to a point where it matters and i have enough people that disney notices then that's a good problem to have then i'll just cut it out yeah, that's true. That's true. Like I'm right now, I'm just having fun with it. I'm not going overboard. I'm I'm trying not to play music. That's the big one. Yeah. Um. Uh. I'm yeah. Trying not I, to play. I I had to make the executive decision to just say fuck it for that Halloween episode we did. It, you'll just get demonetized on YouTube. That's all that right. happened. And, and I didn't even post that one to YouTube. So yeah, whatever. yeah. So, but uh, but yeah. So we're just um, 
anyway, oh, so they were having this going back. They were having this really hard time figuring out Fozzie's character, and he had a really deep voice. And so they shot this scene that's a, a western scene where he like he comes in and he's a cowboy and he comes in with bananas and he's got this really weird voice. Uh, you know, if people might remember how how Homer Simpson started sounded yes. when the Simpsons started and, and, and even how in the Muppets, how Miss Piggy started out with like, two different actors playing her and not being able to figure out, but J- Frank Oz always played Fozzie, but he hadn't figured out the voice. So what they did with that episode then is over the course of the season, Oz found the character. And so they went back for these first two episodes that were these kind of test pilots and they um, gussied them up and reshot some stuff and cut some stuff out. And they added a scene right before the cowboy sketch where Kermit backstage, Fozzie comes up to him wearing the cowboy hat and he goes, hey, Kermit, in his normal, what we consider Fozzie the Bear voice. And then he lowers his voice and goes, does this sound like John Wayne? And he goes, (laughs) I guess. And he goes out and then they play this Western sketch that they had done with this terrible voice. Ah. (laughs) But they had put this little Band-Aid on it to say that, that Fozzie's doing this on purpose. And so they kind of went back and they they rearranged these first two episodes. And so they didn't air till like it was a syndicated show. So we're we're going to watch them, however, in production order, because there is no definitive chronological uh, uh, release order. There is no uh, air, air date order because it was syndicated. Uh, right. It's not like it was premiering on no, CBS it, or whatever. I mean, it played mostly on network affiliates, but when it aired. Um, what order it aired in it also was huge in the uk and it aired in different order there as well Um, interesting i didn't realize that but if you do watch it in production order scooter it with the revised episodes the the ones that were released the ones that are on the dvds um uh scooter is part of the gang part of the gang part of the gang and then in episode three he's introduced (laughs) (laughs) because they had shot that to introduce scooter and then they he became a character for the rest of the show and then they were going to air these again they were going to air these two unfinished episodes so they put him into those but if you watch them in order it's very strange so chad obviously you're diving deep into the world of muppets and end of henson beyond just yeah. the muppets uh you're up to the i think third episode now the third episode just came out and it's about his academy award nominated short film timepiece it's about his um uh, it was a TV special he made called Hey Cinderella. And then we're also discussing The Cube, which is his um, NBC in the late 60s had a had a television program called Experiments in Television, where they would let people kind of do like get an hour and get to do some experimental, crazy avant garde stuff. They like I mean, they give an hour to Fellini one time. It was crazy. And Jim did one project for them, which was a documentary. And then he did this other thing called The Cube, which is just kind of this bizarre. It's literally just, it's kind of like a Saw movie. <laughs> At least it starts off that way. It's literally just a guy wakes up in a cube yeah. um, and doesn't know or how to get like out. And... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So it's, it's the, I wonder if the the movie, The Cube, is is takes inspiration it's, from that? or. It, it, well, what's funny is that Henson's The Cube was accused of being... Uh, taken from a, a science fiction short story mm. that uh, that was you know that had come out a couple years before, and I you know trying to trying to for due diligence I tracked down a copy of the paperback that that short story was in and ordered it, and I listened to it and and I read it. Sorry, and the only similarity is, is there's a guy in a cube. So 
so so between the cube and then the horror movie the cube that could the similarity could just be that there's dudes in a cube right right uh it's a very weird film but yeah we cover those three films and then uh episode four we will be uh we we will be discussing sesame street and telling the history of it um and how it came to be and also we're going to be reviewing the uh series premiere of sesame street the uh, the premiere episode uh, and we also watch some of the original pilots and we're going to be talking about some of the history of it and a special treat. You get a review of the uh, Sesame street premiere from my four-year-old daughter. Oh, nice. Because uh, we're not the target audience, but no. you know, got a review from her. The, so. Have you read the biography? Yes. Uh, we are. Our, our, our sources list. Um, if you go to lunaticdaring.com, we actually have a, a page for our sources, our, our bibliography where we're just, yeah. You know, we're, we're not researchers. Yeah, we are. Well, it's the Brian J. Jones uh, biography is, is definitely the, our, our roadmap. Yeah. Right. We're, we're using a lot of other sources. Actually, I, for the first time, I actually flipped to the back of the, of his book and looked at the bibliography and compared it to the one that I've built on our site. And it's almost identical, nice. except for he doesn't have his book his bibliography right. but <laughs> so we're using the brian j jones uh book which i've owned for a long time and on the crack and to be honest with you i haven't finished yet because these first chunk of episodes have required a lot of writing because we're trying to tell a story yeah. and so i've been kind of just reading along with the book to yeah. um but now that we're hitting the muppet show the show's going to kind of change because there's not a lot of story to tell between episodes of a television show so we're going to kind of turn into for a little while, just that original watch show. We're going to be watching two episodes of the Muppet show every episode. And we're going to do things like breaking down, you know, keeping track of characters, keeping track of performers, keeping track, you know, uh, uh, running bits, you know, we're not going to, you know, and, and, you know, this being 2020, there are going to be some problematic jokes and stuff that we're not going to run away from. We're not going to, sure. you know, throw it all out in the trash, but we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to look at it through our modern adult eyes. But we're also gigantic fans, and uh, and yeah, so that's kind of the kind of the plan. But we have to get to, and I thought at first it would be a slog to get all the way to the Muppet Show because that's really where the where the juicy stuff is. But man, the stuff in the stuff before it's great. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, he was doing, he was wild and you know pushing the envelope, and and that's what he always wanted to do. I mean, that's Jim. I mean, he he always was moving on to the next thing. Like he was, he was over the Muppet show before the Muppet show was over. He was over everything. He's, he was over everything before it was over. Oh, he he tried to, he wanted, he wanted to quit Sam and friends two years in. Yeah. And he was in college. Like he, he graduated college while he was, well, he he graduated college. He already, he had had a television show on the air in Washington DC for years. Like that's how young he was. Like, well, it's he loved, very, he loved, you know, that's the thing is like puppetry coming from the puppeteer perspective. Yeah. You know, and this is Jim Henson. This is a guy who was president of puppeteers of America for years Yep. who inspired count, you know, generations and generations and generations of puppeteers who and cut the led. ribbon at the puppetry center. I think. Oh yeah. yeah. It was, it, but it was a means to an end. He cared yeah. about TV. He loved he TV so much. TV he and loved TV so much. Was his door was his was his was his method to making money and to, you know all the commercials that he that that he did to make money to pay for the Muppet Show and all that stuff. It was always a means to an end. Now he 
not to say that he wasn't like an incredible student of puppetry. He was. Yes. Um, but but at the end of the day, the puppetry was really always just a way to get on TV and into movies and to do something that, that nobody had seen before, which is what he was really interested in. Yeah, he he um, he so wanted to be in in television that when he was still in high school, there was an ad put out for they needed puppeteers for a, a local show you know, for a local station for like a morning show. And he he and his buddy went to the library and got two books out on puppeteering. Um, Marjorie Batchelder's book, The Puppeteer's Handbook, which is about like making puppets and puppet sets. And then uh, My Profession by a guy named Sergey Russian last name. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it. Um, and yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And they they took those books and in a week they built like three puppets, went in and got the job. And it was, probably Jane. it was probably Jane that he did it with. No, it wasn't Jane. It was actually a buddy. He didn't Jane. meet Jane until he got to college. This okay. was uh, he, he met Jane in puppetry class in college when he, he walked into the room and he was he had more professional experience than the professor. Right. <laughs> at, at, that, at that point and basically became the teacher of the class. Actually, the professor had no experience. It was just like a silly elective they had added on to. Um, but he what we what we tried to, to track on the show is that we, we uh, Nick especially is very we're very uh, judicious about how we use the word genius. Um, I, I don't love throwing it around, but I can't find another word. Um, when you look at how young he was and how fully formed the drive, he kind of was. The drive. The drive, of course. The yeah. genius, but the drive to like, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to do, I'm going to spend every waking moment working yeah. my tail off. I mean, he yeah. was a workaholic. Yes, he was. He, yeah. I, there's a great anecdote where he was, uh, is in the, sometime in the 80s, he was in a car in London and the night before they had performed for the queen. Right. And that, and that Thursday, Kermit was going to fly over the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade for the first time. And the, uh, the driver asked him if he ever thought that it would, he would reach this kind of success. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but he basically said, uh, yes. And I thought it would happen a lot sooner. <laughs> wow. I think, I think it was yes. And I'm disappointed. It didn't, it, it's taken this long as I think what he said. Like he's a guy who always knew there was something special about him. And that's not, I don't even count that as a strike against him as ego. He just was fully aware. I mean, he was clearly right. So, and he was right. Do? Well, and that's something, you know, as you get further along in the book, you know, that that's part of it is that the managing the company became such a burden. Yeah. Because he just wanted to create, he just wanted to move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and create and create and create. And, and, but then he, he had all these people that, that were like fighting for his attention because he was Jim. He, they're, yeah. they're, you know, he was it. He was it. Everything. He was the son that everything revolved around. Yeah. And, and if you didn't get Jim's attention, then you felt like a failure, you know, and he tried so hard. He was so torn trying to, you know, be a peacemaker and make everybody happy and make sure everybody still had a job, which was, you know, then turns into the whole, you know, all the Disney mess. Well, yeah, but when he when he died, he was in the process of trying to sell them up as to Disney. Oh, um, the end of the book is so depressing. Yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. Not, you know, it's I mean, so I, I, I'm obviously aware how it ends. And um, uh, I already have plans of how we're going to handle 
that yeah. when we get to it in the show. And I do know like the, I do know the skeleton of the story. What I've just decided to do um, while I, now that we've gotten to the Muppet show, I can kind of relax and read the rest of the book. Um, but I've been having to kind of go through it with a fine tooth comb in these early sections because telling the story of the Muppet musicians of Bremen television special. Yeah take some research and that's not something I can do off the cuff. <laughs> so right. I had to kind of slow down, but, but no, he, there's a, a quote I found from him where he basically says that like, uh, there's two sides to him. And here's a compare. I actually think Kim and George Lucas are like, um, they're like a, uh, what do they call it? Oh God. What is What's the thing in the force where the two people oh, are connected? The, the from? Di- diadem. Dyad in the force, right? Diad, because, right. They were both men who, other than the fact that the nasally voices and they both loved cars and, and things like that, but <laughs> they did. Uh, Jim loved cars. Jim loved and, cars. Yeah, and, so. and so was Lucas. And they both had that kind of nasally voice. But he would get stuff stolen out of his car and people would be like, oh, what? He's like, eh, they needed it more than me. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But he, but they, but, but more than anything, though, they were both men who saw themselves as experimental filmmakers. Absolutely. who then created something so instantly loved and commercial and huge that that part of their life was kind of pulled away from them. Yeah. They both took, they both, you know, would take their chances one way or another, but Lucas, if you want to look at what Lucas really thought he was going to be, watch THX 1138. That's who George Lucas wanted to be, which was this very kind of uh, not quite avant-garde, but, but, but experimental filmmaker, um, not a big popcorn commercial guy. And Jim, when you look at things like Timepiece, which I highly recommend, Timepiece is amazing. It is an amazing little film. Uh, it's really funny. It's really sharp. I was angry at Timepiece because it was the first thing we were watching from him that wasn't puppets. And I was, exp- I was ready to like forgive it for being a little more amateur or a little, it's great. <laughs> Like there's like his first shot out at making a, just a live action short film is great. And he stars in it, which is really cool. But um, no, it's just, you know, listen, we know that, that what we're, what we're planning on doing is we're, we're, as we get through the Muppet show and then between seasons of the Muppet show, we're going to probably do episode. We'll, we'll, we'll be an episode about a movie. So after we get done with season one, then our kind of palate cleanser episode, we'll do an episode about Emmett Otter will be kind of our palate cleanser. Oh my that, God. The Emma Otter outtakes are so good. Uh, that is my wife's favorite oh, thing on the planet oh, is the oh, Emmett Otter outtakes. Um, oh, drum. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. Top of the drum. Yeah. I'm going to drum you right out of this business. Um, it's, it's really good. Yeah. If you haven't seen the Emmett Otter outtakes, even if you haven't seen Emmett Otter, but it also, <laughs> but what I really love, it also gives you, the floor. what do you want me to do? <laughs> it also gives you a real sense though. It also gives you a real sense of what it was like to work on those sets. And oh, absolutely. Beca- because I, you know, and I've said this a few times lately as I've been working, I really do believe that Jim Henson and Frank Oz are the greatest comedy duo of all time. Well, I put them above Frank Oz, Frank Oz anybody is else. The greatest, Frank Oz is the greatest living puppeteer of all time. And he, <laughs> and he's the one that liked it the least. Yeah. He's the uh, one that liked being a puppeteer the least, and he was the best. Jim would have told the same thing. Best. He was the best puppeteer of his generation. But the two of them together, whether uh, it was they're, they're, they're Kermit Piggy, whether it was Bert and Ernie, whether it was the Swedish chef where they're playing one character, they're um, like the best comedy duo of all time. Yeah. For me. Like, so hands down. To, uh, 
to look at things kind of from a puppeteer's point of view, uh, Bo, you, you've been on the show tons of times, talked about tons of different things, uh, talked about puppetry plenty, but we've never really talked about specifically the Muppets and your relationship with them and where they came into your life. Oh, yeah. Well, um, we watched the Muppet show as a family. Um, we had HBO. We watched Fraggle Rock. Um, so the the Muppets and Jim Henson's work, you know, and obviously I watched Sesame Street. Um, the Muppets were always part of my life. And when I was in, when I was a high school, when I, when I was a senior in high school, I, through the gifted program, I was able to do a, an internship where you could take six period off and, and go do an internship somewhere. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I, and I had enjoyed puppets and I, and I, and I, I like, I knew Jim Henson stuff, obviously from, from, you know, my parents playing it for us and everything. Um, and then it, but it, but it wasn't like it, but I wasn't like, I'm not one of those puppeteers that was like, I watched the Muppet show and then I decided that this is what I, this is my path, you know, um, like a lot of, a lot of puppeteers are. Um, and I, and I had the opportunity to do the internship and I sort of played around with a couple of ideas. And then I, I was very heavily involved in theater at my school. I had been since, since middle school, um, and I found out that I could get an internship at the Center for Puppetry Arts. And so in high school, I was an intern at the center. And that's where I learned how to build puppets and how to, how to my, my, you know, lingo for, for, for puppet show dictionary stuff, watching the shows and learning all the stage directions and everything. Um, the, the very specific puppet stuff, um, part of theater. And and that, and that was it. Once, you know, once that senior year of high school really hit, I was building puppets and doing puppet shows. And that was, that was it. Um, and I never looked back. So the world at large sees Jim Henson as probably the most influential, well, definitely the most influential name in puppetry. And as Chad has been talking about, he's so much more than just that. But to look at his history, to look at his biography along the way, there there's so many other names involved in the Muppets that went on to do other things with, with entertainment, with puppetry, with whatever else. I think it would be interesting as, as we go along, and I'm not talking about right here in this episode, but you know, as Chad gets further into this podcast to maybe sort of stop and do some, some side episodes or, or to get together and talk about some of the people who Jim Henson came into their life and affected them. And they went on to do other things. Yeah. We're, we're trying on the show to at least give any of the major figures, both um, performers and otherwise, at least, you know, a, a little bit of a shout out and a little bit of explanation and credit, you know, um, it, there's obviously the, there was the core group of, of, I will say guys, because yes, uh, you know, we're, yes. we're dealing with, with five men, 
that were the the core group, which was Henson, Oz, Hunt, Nelson, and Goals, were the were the core group when the Muppet Show began. I mean, I mean, it was Frank Oz. Was, a guy, it was definitely a guys' club. I mean, it was Fran Brill had come on and and she did a lot of great work on Sesame Street, and they did have a female uh, uh, performer. Uh, Louise Gold and one other whose name is eluding me in the first season of the Muppet Show, but it was a while. And like I said, we are gonna we're gonna talk about that stuff. That's part of it. But he definitely had his core group of guys. But then we're also talking about what we're trying to do is at least shine a light on. I've been doing kind of I'm doing like little bonus episodes where like where I talk about stuff that doesn't fit in the main narrative. So like I just recorded one where I watched all 24 uh, appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show. Because there's no time for like, we can't stop the podcast because like in the podcast, we say like, oh, yeah. And then they did a bunch of appearances at Sullivan, but we don't have the time to do it in the main show. But for a bonus, you can't can't divert that much from your main narrative. No, it would just be sloppy. Like it wouldn't. It wouldn't. No, it wouldn't float. But those appearances are fucking awesome. They are so good, including the first ever uh, the first. uh, ever performance of Menomina with the actual puppets that we know. And like, there's all sorts of amazing things on that. So I did a side episode. And so I, I do plan to do an episode and I'll probably need to talk to Bo about it, about kind of the evolution of the Muppet itself. Um, sure. And going from Jim and Jane Henson to then Don Celine, who was a guy that came in and really kind of created the, the form of what we would consider the modern Muppet. But then there's Bonnie Erickson and Michael Frith. Then there's all these designers and 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 costumers Dude, and puppet so builders. Cool. Hmm? Michael Frith is so cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, uh, right. I, so I, cool. it's so it's it's all these people uh, and also Faz Fazakis, who was yeah. kind of the Gizmo guy. Um, and so there are these other people behind the scenes as well. Um, I, you know, that was it, Jim, it, I mean, he, he, he. He was one of those people that was smart enough to always surround him, surround himself with really smart people. Yeah, and yeah. he was constantly challenging his team to be. You know, he would be like, "I want, like, Emma Otter is a great example. I want the I want the otters rowing a boat down the river," and they were like, "What?" And I want to show it in long shot. And I want to show it in a helicopter shot. <laughs> Thinking of you know, I want the Muppets to ride. I want the Muppets to ride bicycles. I you know, he was constantly thinking of things that were, if you just on the face, how would you do that? And he trusted his people to say, "You guys figure it out. I know you will." Okay, now go figure yeah. it out. You know, yeah. and they did, and they did, and it was amazing because you know, every every especially the movies, especially all the movies and stuff were there were always giant leaps in technology. Yeah. With every movie, every single movie, there was like something they were like, "All right, we're gonna do something impossible." The the water dance, the water uh, synchronized swimming sequence that is completely what? insane. I insane. I just watched because the great the great Muppet Caper is my favorite of the Muppet movies. It's my first memory of being in the movie theater. Oh, wow. And my first memory of being in the movie theater is Miss Piggy crashing through the glass window on the motorcycle. Oh, awesome. I, I'm I'm not going to say. The movie itself is perfect, although it's fantastic. But as far on, as John Cleese, man, as far as the execution of the movie, yeah, there are no holes in it. It's it's incredible that they have combined 
the puppets and the live actors in such a way that at no point during the movie are you taken out of the movie. No. Well, no, I mean, you know, and Bo can correct me if I'm wrong because he knows more about this angle than I am. But I mean, he was changing the art form from the moment he started. Absolutely. Um, he you know, invented, where, well, he he invented what we call TV puppetry. Right. Exactly. The, the puppets before that they were on a stage. Yep. The most popular puppet show uh, before that was a show called Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Um, Howdy Doody before and... that, and uh, there's the work of like guys like Bill Baird and things like this. But at the end of the day, they were still just puppets on a stage. Right. It and was, what he was, re- we're going to take a live puppetry experience. Yeah. And we're going to set up a little puppet stage, and we're, we're going to film a it. At it. Yeah. And Jim was the first person to be like to to realize that the TV is the puppet stage. Is the stage. Is yeah. the stage. And the reason that the Muppets and, and the Sesame Street characters and all the characters that, that Jim created are so relatable and, and are beloved is because they look into the camera. He was the first puppeteer Close-ups. to use monitors yep. and, and to puppeteer into the monitor so that you're not looking at your performance. Like you're not looking up at your hand when you're puppeteering. You're looking at what the audience is saying. And you have to do it backwards, which is even great. Crazy. You have to do it backwards. Which um, <laughs> is even crazy. Let, let me just let me just say, as as somebody who somewhat unexpectedly ended up doing that one night. Thank you very <laughs> yes. much, Bo. You were great. You were so good. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's, it is hard as fuck. <laughs> that was that was a hallmark moment of my entire life. Being up on nope. stage with Tyler Bunch and Leslie Carrera Rudolph, doing yes. puppeteering into a fucking monitor, which is very confusing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, especially no, I mean, especially when you're six foot four, because it constantly duck down, duck down, duck down. Well, and you and you and you can when you when you watch when you watch puppet stuff, you can always tell there'll be a moment when the puppet will like turn to go off camera, and then they'll turn right back. <laughs> they'll yeah. be like, oh, oh no, nope, this way, yeah. and they'll turn the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, but there was also other, you know, as he went on, um, you were talking about Emmett Otter, but he was also, I believe, the first one to platform up his sets. Yeah. Um, Dave was talking, you Dave, you were talking about how well integrated with the world. I mean, that, the creation, I think it was for the Frog Prince, was the first time he used um, platform sets where they had, you know, trenches and nooks for the puppeteers to be in so they could create a more seamless, immersive world. Um, uh, it's just, he kept, yeah, he, he just kept innovating and obviously kept going and going and going, but it's what struck me. And since I didn't, I don't have a background in puppetry, my background's in writing and film. And that's where I approach, you know, uh, his work from, which, which but, real but quick, I did learn how, a lot. How, how phenomenal is it that you can approach it in that way that you can, that the puppetry is an element of this excellent filmmaking. Well, like Bo was saying, it was never his. Yeah, he was, you know, his goal was never to be the world's the world's most famous puppeteer. That was huh. never the goal. The goal was always just to make TV and movies, make TV and, and tell stories, fam- and get famous doing that. You know? I mean, and make people happy and entertain yeah. people, and 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 make some money. And yeah, he he was very like in nineteen. I think it was nineteen fifty eight or nineteen fifty nine. Uh, he was done with Sam and Friends. I mean, he wasn't. It it didn't wasn't over till nineteen sixty one. But he was. Uh, he was tired of it. So he took a, he took a trip to uh, Europe to learn how to paint, which uh, I say in the podcast is maybe the most pretentious thing Jim Henson ever did was run <laughs> off to Europe to learn how to paint. Yeah. And there was a good chance he wasn't going to come back. And, but when he was there, 
he saw that in Europe, puppetry was considered art. Right. And he met puppeteers in different countries and he saw people watching different shows. He watched Punch and Judy shows in, in, in England and he uh, watched French shows and, and he, he met all these great puppeteers that were like that. He was like, oh, I've been treating this like a lark, but these people, they're serious about this. And so when he came back from Europe, he came back with, and that is when he joined the Puppeteers Guild, right? Puppeteers um, of America. Puppeteers of America, sorry. He joined the Puppeteers of America shortly after that because that's when he started to take it seriously. Well, that's where he, well, he went to puppetry festivals. He met Frank Oz. Oh uh, yeah, he met, well, he met Oz's parents. Yeah, I met Oz's parents. Yeah. <laughs> he then he introduced him to Frank. Carol Spinney, he met Carol Spinney. This was back yeah. when you like, you could go to a puppet festival and be discovered. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't happen anymore. He met um, he met Carol Spinney after a show that Carol Spinney completely tanked. Yeah. And he came backstage and told Carol, he's like, mm, I like what you were trying to do. <laughs> There's a whole series of, I mean, you probably know about these, the whole series of videos, the Jim Henson Presents videos yeah. where he interviews the other famous, public, the other famous puppeteers around the world that he met. Uh, yeah, I've seen some of those. Yeah. Yeah, those yeah. are great. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, he, 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 he does, um, the Australian uh, shadow yeah. artist. Um, he very much like, I don't know. He, he came back and he started taking it seriously, but, 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 but was absolutely correct. It wasn't the only thing he had his sights set on. No. Um, well, that's why, and that's you know, why you saw stuff like the moment, moment shots on the Muppet show. And you saw, yeah. um, you know, things that were tangentially puppetry that he would feature on, on, on the Muppet show. Um, yeah. What was the other uh, uh, moment shots is one of the best, um, but there's another one we had on like uh, what's his, he had on Nureyev, the ballet dancer. Um, yes, yeah. Who uh, all he wanted to, he, he said Bruce he wanted Schwartz. to. Bruce Schwartz is on the Muppet Show, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, where he dances with a giant pig ballerina. Um, and my my no, just my... no, just like the action, just the just like another puppet act. Yeah. Um, where, yeah. where there weren't any Muppets in the scene at all. It was it was just like Moment Chance is just yeah, doing sure doing their yeah. thing, and then Bruce Schwartz is is just Bruce Schwartz doing his thing. Um, yeah, well, he 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 did he experimented all sorts of puppetry with rod oh, yeah. puppetry, and and you know there's a character named Big Boss Man that he first brought out, I think for the for um I believe it was for Shares Vegas show, um which is like a twelve foot tall rod puppet. It's insane, and and he really, he was really all about definitely towards the end of the Muppet stuff was really wanting to do like a big crazy live stage show which is why I'm so like I think that if that if he could have seen like the Muppets take the O2 or some of the really big live stage shows that they've done yeah like I he really he was really really interested in that like oh, he was sort of like the last thing he wanted to do with the Muppets was like a big live event. Well, he had been working on a Broadway show since like the late sixties. Yeah. He, 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 he had been, he was actively pursuing a, he was developing and writing a Broadway show that they eventually abandoned, but he, yeah, he, he always wanted to get them on, on, on stage. So we've got to wrap it up mm -hmm. and to close this thing out. What I'd like to do is uh, we'll, we'll just see how long it goes. Uh, but I'd like to go to each of you and you each, pick out sort of a a landmark moment in jim henson's history that stands out to you just when you think about jim henson or, or specifically about the muppets whatever uh 
just a moment or an act or even a character that just stands out in your personal fandom of Jim Henson. Uh, Bo, why don't you kick us off? Well, as far as an act, I have to say Kermit Tap Dancing. Happy Feet. Uh, Yeah, Happy Feet. I mean, Kermit Tap Dancing is such a brilliant feat of puppetry. Because puppetry, because because at its root, puppetry is an illusion. It is a thing that we do with something that is not alive to convince you that it is alive. And and for Kermit to, to, to never see Kermit's feet, but to completely buy the fact that he is tap dancing is the ultimate puppetry illusion. You know, like that 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 it is so clear and and understandable that what Kermit is doing is tap dancing, in spite of the fact that you never actually see it, is is a just a perfect feat of puppetry. Um, as far as would you say like a, a moment and then like a what characters or, or uh, what? just 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 anything that personal yeah anything that's personal to you uh, as a when personal. you reflect on um, Henson the Muppets on whatever that's a, a sort of special experience you've had entertainment wise oh um I mean Kermit well, tap dancing was a perfect example and and yeah. to build off of that a little bit um one of the things that you know when i was young i didn't totally understand it well i didn't at all understand it but now that i'm older i do just the entire concept of statler and waldorf uh as being the audience's encouragement to love these characters to me those two while providing a sort of, you know, they're providing humor, they're providing commentary, but they're also, to me as a young kid, making me have more empathy for Kermit and Scooter and Gonzo and Fozzie and, uh, you know, all of the characters well, that Statler and like Waldorf. Said about Fozzie is, I mean, Statler and Waldorf, their main relationship is with Fozzie. Right, they're, they're, and, they're and, and, adversarial. And like, how do we make this guy funny? How do we make how do we make this guy who isn't funny endearing? Well, ha- and that's yeah. that's exactly it. It took a while, them, and so that you root for the underdog. Right, if it, it wasn't it, for Statler and Waldorf, I don't think Fozzie could have become Fozzie. But they solved it with one skit, which is a, a skit called "Good Grief: The Comedian's a Bear." Yeah, uh, which uh, is the first time that Kermit and Fozzie nailed it. Like where it was like, oh, this is going to be the relationship that's going to anchor the show, yeah. um, is the two of them. But yeah, it was it was hard to get people to to love and laugh at in a gentle way this guy who was a complete failure. And yeah. that's why I think Statler and Waldorf to me at, at this point are so important to the Muppet Show formula because the Muppet Show is a variety show; it's an entertainment show, but it is also a sitcom within that show yeah it's a show within a show they give you that that perspective on the characters that other shows do through story or through writing or through whatever else statler and waldorf give you you know they're they're mocking they're almost the guys that have to be entertained so as you watch an episode of the muppet show they're sort of the 
you know, oh, those crusty old guys, like they, they hate everything, but I'm going to love it because I know I don't like them and I know they don't like this. So I like this even more because they're old and we hate old people, right? Like it's, it's this kind of funny generational thing that's going on. I don't know. They're, I, I could probably write a whole thing on Statler and Waldorf and where I see them sitting within the, the Muppets universe. But yeah, they're, I think they're brilliant creations that, that helped further the audience's connection with the Muppet characters. For sure. I agree. Very cool. Chad, what about you? What, uh, what's, what's sort of a touching emotional or or favorite? Okay. Well, yeah, I'll too. One that's a little more, uh, uh, broad, I guess. Uh, I was, I was born, about three or four months before the Muppet Show debuted, so I've I've never known a world without it. Um, but uh, I would point to well, as kind of not as a joke, but side is as a, uh, I will also be discussing on the podcast the three or four guest hosts on the Muppet Show that were let's say part of Chad's early sexual awakening. Sure. Um, I'm looking at you, Raquel Welch. <laughs> um, uh, but but the Muppet Show, but uh, personal memories, um two real quick one will be uh the muppets muppets can be really scary at times people don't give that and jim believed in scaring children he believed that it was good for kids that little that catharsis and so um uh, if you don't believe that watch dark crystal with a child Well, well the dark crystal yes but like even but even like when i was when i was a child there were a few episodes of the muppet show when it was in reruns that i would run from the Vincent Price one. Um, there's one where uh, it's actually literally a murder mystery where Muppets are getting stabbed in the back the whole night and dying. Um, and there were a couple that were really scary to me, but I, the, the real personal thing is just, I remember Jim fought his whole career to make sure that people to, to he fought his whole career against the idea that puppets were just for kids. And remembering back to watching the Muppet show with my parents and that they were laughing as hard as I was laughing. Just that's what makes it like one of the perfect shows to me in history. Um, when you say the word Jim Henson, though, I think of something much later uh, in 1980. I'm going to miss it. It's 88 or 89. Uh, there's a TV special called a Muppet family Christmas. Um, and the story of it is that, uh, Fozzie and the Muppet Show gang are going to Fozzie's mom's house for Christmas and she doesn't know they're coming. She's planning on going to Hawaii, but they show up and Doc and Sprocket from Fraggle Rock are there and yeah, they're renting the, big, the place. The first crossover with Fraggle Rock, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the Sesame Street gang shows up too. And it's Sesame Street, it's, it's the Muppets, it's Fraggle Rock, it's everybody in this thing for a Christmas special. And the Muppets most of the time did Christmas pretty damn well. So but you get to the end of the special and they're all kind of doing the final sing along where they're singing a bunch of Christmas carols. And then it cuts to the kitchen and doing the dishes in the kitchen is Jim Henson. Yeah. And he's with Sprocket, the dog. And he says, uh, ah, it looks like they're having a good time. I like it when they're having a good time. And he says, uh, but, but these dishes can't clean themselves. Sprocket, I'll wash and you dry. And they turn back to the dishes. And that's like the, one of the fine, like, that's like to me. I know it's not the final time he was ever on film. I think that was Arsenio Hall. But to me, that's like a goodbye to him in that moment. And we watch that. We watch that special every year. But it's always when I think of him, I think of that moment of him looking back at all his creations and saying, "I like it when they have a good time." Yeah. 
totally so That's and the beautiful. dark crystal's awesome like oh, and dude. the dark crystal too okay dark crystal and, and we we can't we could do a whole other episode about dark crystal and age of resistance uh dark crystal labyrinth incredible accomplishment age of resistance one of the greatest things i've ever seen in my entire life i'm so so disappointed uh so no, disappointed they're not gonna do another season unbelievable that it's yeah. that everything was, everything they, was were built. All, they were all set up to do Garden it was all Wars. built it was done why not just do it fuck you it Netflix. was it's because it's, it's fucking expensive it's yeah, real expensive but, but they about. knew that that's what it's always about right why, but they knew that why, it's why the henson vegas show gets shut down it's why it's it's because puppets are fucking expensive and 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 doing it right is doing things the right way is cost money and they're not gonna they're not gonna pay for it well, I mean, we on will... Netflix, I don't know if people know that for the Netflix series, they actually Henson, uh, was it Cheryl, Lisa, I forget who was point on that, but I think it might have been Cheryl, but yeah, Cheryl's the big Dark Crystal. Yeah. So she, 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 they brought it to Netflix and they were pitching an animated show. And the woman at Netflix who was making the decisions, you know, she went home that night and she watched the Dark, they, she had heard the pitch for an animated Dark Crystal show. And she had gone home that night and read and watched the original movie. And she called them the next day and said, how much to do it with puppets? And they said a lot more. And she goes, tell them, figure out how much it is to do it for real. So does she not work for Netflix anymore? Is that what happened? I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, that's, that's I, have a, I, I have this thing I actually talk about in the podcast because um, Jim actually made about five or six television pilots before the Muppet show, like through starting in 1961, making pilots that never got to air. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that in Hollywood, the word yes is the scariest word in town. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. No, no is easy. No is it, it, it. No doesn't cost you any money. Right. No doesn't. But yes is costly and yes is scary and yes means you have to defend your choices and you have to go up in front of people and you have to market and you have to do all these things yes can ruin or make a career no can only sustain one right and it was just when when something is that big and bold like age of resistance was and it was it was a phenomenal piece of entertainment the most complicated puppetry thing ever made i was it's unbelievable how complicated it is i was crying 15 minutes into it only because i was like yes this is what this yes thank you this is exactly what i wanted well and it was as i was watching it it felt to me like oh this this is what he wanted yes Oh, yeah, absolutely! Would, he wouldn't want this. But, but it, we guys, we've got. It was a brilliant realization of an idea that had made a we, good movie, but a flawed movie. We will, uh, we will come back with a full absolutely. Dark Crystal episode, the three of us, to. at some time in the future, because it's, it's certainly worth talking about. Yeah, but, I can but, but yeah, and that's as we were discussing. Uh, I think before we were recording, we'll have to watch it again before we yeah. talk about it. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. You guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks you very uh, much. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Puppetry. Everybody, please go uh, like, subscribe, share a feat of lunatic daring. You can find it on Facebook. You can find it using Google. You know how computers work. We're all grownups here. Yep. Uh, Mr. Bo Brown, uh, where wh- what, what are you up to now? Wh- where can we find you online? You're just sort of um, chilling. 
I'll have a, I'll have, you can watch the Halloween Puck and Puppet Show on the Puck and Puppet Show Facebook uh, page. And we'll be doing another um, digital slam in December for the holidays. And that's kind of it. That's sort of all I got going on um, with all the, you know, nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but we'll have a, we'll have a good, we'll have a good holiday show. And if you have, if you haven't watched the Halloween show, it's you know still available to watch, and it is, it, and there's a lot of excellent, absolutely excellent puppet uh, shorts in it. So I, I would definitely recommend um, taking the watch if you're still in a little bit of Halloween mood. Um, there's some really beautiful stuff in there. Awesome. Well, thank you guys, and uh, we'll be talking to both of you again real soon. Good journey. There it is. For those of you keeping score at home, uh, production went much better this week than it did last week. Uh, I, I don't know how much I talked about it, but I had to get a new computer, and I thought I was being really smart and clever and loading all the programs and doing all the stuff that I needed to do, but what I forgot about were all of the settings and the custom things and special stuff that I had that did not carry over, just because that's not how these things work. So this week, I I didn't almost cry even once while I was putting the show together. Uh, you, you may have also noticed the new style of cover photo. My original plan was, was to introduce that with episode 350 uh, after the beginning of the year. But I lost all of the fonts on my old computer, which I'll, I'll rebuild them. It's fine. But I last week, just after working and I just decided I was like I time to change time for the new cover so that's why that happened it, it, it was it was part of a bigger plan it just got executed sooner than it was supposed to uh, because of circumstance so I hope you guys are enjoying things as I said the podcast will continue to improve the quality will get better as I figure out the new tools that I am using and as I return the old tools to the settings that they used to have before. Uh, whatever the case, I hope that you guys enjoy the show. I hope that you tell your friends about it. Share the show. Let them know what's going on over here with the Needless Things podcast. Go check out that YouTube channel and uh, get ready because more stuff is coming. As I figure out this technology, I am going to be doing more with it. I've actually already talked to a couple of people about some pretty exciting stuff. So please stay tuned. Thank you. I love you guys. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.